Hi everyone, Frank Forza, Life Jitsu, Art of Life. I'm here with my friend Bernard Preston. And, uh, you know, I've gotten to know Bernard around my gym. And he's a guy about, you know, close in age to me, 39, knocking on the door of 40. <laughs> so we talk about a lot of things, competitive versus cooperative. That's something a lot of people are gonna wrestle with. Um, which is you have people like us, myself and Bernard, we're ultra competitive and that gets you really far sometimes in the athletic realm. But it can it can hurt you in the entrepreneurial or in the corporate world, the business world, where the teamwork becomes a very, so it's sort of our selfishness, right? The time, the season to be selfish and the season to be unselfish and just make everybody around you better, do things, sacrifice for the betterment of the team. So we talk a lot about that. Um, Right now, though, we're going to jump in. Bernard has been, you know, a very good athlete. He was a Division One basketball player. He plays a lot of ball here. The guy is in phenomenal shape, um, age-defying as well. And, um, you know, he works with a lot of disabled vets and people with special needs as well. He's got a master's degree. So this is a high-performing guy here uh, talking with me, Bernard. So you were, you were mentioning, though, before we went... We, we, we went live here with the podcast. You were talking about how you've been given a lot of thought lately to hydration as an athlete. Um, tell, tell us about your, your, you know, you're a little frustrated about your, when you think about hydration as, as an athlete and you look back on your years and you think, wow, you worked so hard, but maybe you were underhydrated or seriously underhydrated most of the time. Yes, Frank, I, you know, when we start having that conversation, you know, I'm always excited to talk to you about it. I mean, you're just in amazing shape. And, and every time I see you, I, I want to go harder. And so after talking to you that, just think about all the times I've put in work as far as training, being on the track, and uh, just realized that, you know, the old school of thinking was that when I came up, the less water you drink, um, you know, you, you needed that to it would make you weak in a sense. Mm -hmm. and so, right, so um, it was like the coach would be like, no water no break. Water, water break was a sign of weakness. It was a sign of you're not mentally tough. Right. I mean, I remember being in college when our, some of our coaches used to try to give us creatine. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't I wouldn't take it. For me, my mindset was always... Creatine make you cramp up. Right. So my, but my mindset was that was cheating. Yeah. You know, so, um, you know, water as well. I mean, you needed water, but I did not know that water is the other way around after yeah. speaking to you. And so... Just and even better would be the electrolyte enhanced water. Right. You want right. to get those muscles really, really conducted. Right. And so just thinking of all the times, like I was telling you about being at UNLV training um, and, and working extremely hard in the 100, 100 degrees heat mm -hmm. and realizing that I didn't have, you know, not hydrated. Mm -hmm. And thinking to myself, the times where I may have failed in certain, some athletic uh, events, if I was hydrated enough. And so. Yeah, every time I see you, I think about that. And it's a little frustrating you know, yeah. to see if I could have been a little better. Well, it's interesting because we live here in Las Vegas. It was probably 102, 103 yesterday. And you and I know we've been here. You've been here long. How many, how many years I've been here Vegas? since 2004. All right, so he's been here since 2004. I've been here since 2002. So we both know Vegas summers is going to get to 115, 116, 117 degrees. And mostly everybody here is indoors, right? The AC is always kicking. But, uh, you know, what's interesting is I've learned a lot about hydration even in the last couple months because I used to just think, well, pee clear. As long as you're peeing clear and peeing vigorous, you're good. Um, and now when I listen to people like um, 
Dr. Carolyn Dean talks, it was a magnesium expert. She wrote a great book, I think the, 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 the Magnesium Miracle or the Miracle of Magnesium. And then Dr. Zach Bush over there in Charlottesville, Virginia, and I listened to them talk about hydration, and it's a very interesting rabbit hole. It's not just as simple as drink a lot of water. That is certainly a great starting point for people, and particularly for people like us that are athletic and pushing our bodies, I would say electrolyte-enhanced water. Um, also, you think of things like good coconut water or good watermelon you know, straight 100% watermelon juice. Those are great hydrants with the magnesium, with the potassium. and So those are great starting points. But then you also get into areas where you're talking about Epsom salt baths because a lot, most people are magnesium deficient. Most people, their glutathione, you know, all kinds of stuff is, is wrong with people. They're water deficient. Um, pretty much everybody, Zach Bush has been testing people. Pretty much everybody, even the high, high level athletes, everybody he tests is underhydrated. Everybody. So you and I would certainly go in there and be like, look, you're underhydrated. But then you have that, so even with that mag, that magnesium is so key for heart health, for circulation, um, for hydration. And that mag, you know, so those Epsom salt baths, that's magnesium. One of the best ways when I listen to, to some of these doctors talk, like they're like, they actually usually prefer magnesium either through the diet, let's say some spinach, um, but magnesium through the skin. So getting in the ocean the ocean is rich with with a lot of that magnesium for hydration they have the float tanks now people think people associate those float tanks with sort of the hallucinogenic effect right you go into the float tank i haven't been in one by the way but that's coming but you go into a float tank and it's just dead silent it's the most silent thing and so it's like a zen experience or a meditative experience and everything is still and you're in there and you're relaxing and you're floating and you start thinking of, you know, even if you're, you're completely sober, but you start thinking of crazy, create creative stuff, right? So, but the real gold of those flow tanks, they, they pack them with Epsom salt and magnesium. And that is supercharging the hydration, which means that it's supercharging the oxygen and the circulation to your brain. When your brain and your muscles are adequately fired, what's that going to feel like? Right, and and then most of us don't know what we don't know. So someone who's chronically underhydrated just thinks, "Oh, I'm tired from yesterday's workout. Oh, yes. um, oh, my body just isn't meant to push through that. Right? Oh, I, it's something I ate. Not thinking the most likely culprit, a lot of times, is underhydration. So you right. And I want, one question I wanted to ask you, you know, why you're just saying that is that. So how much is important of this body percent fact? I mean, after talking to you, I remember. You know, going to UNLV, they got this test, the, the way they test you for your body percent fat, and mm -hmm. and so they tell you not to drink water, obviously. Yep. And I remember one time, I think I got down to, I think I was like almost, I think actually at five percent. Um, and so, but now after talking to you, is that legit? You know what I mean? As far as you know, I'm, I'm sure I wasn't hydrated. Yeah. I mean, when you talk to these top athletes who are four percent, I think they had a scale. Serena, uh, at the time, Serena and Venus, the top, they had their... Yeah, Serena Williams and Venus Williams. They were at the lowest level, I mean, as far as body, at the time, at their peak. You mean they, they had they had actually a high body fat? No, they had low, excuse okay. me, low. And so they were saying, hey, these are elite athletes, and, they, and they, I remember them names. Yeah, you like know, Roger Stallback, who was supposedly, I think Roger Stallback was like 2 or 3% right, body Right, so they had all these crazy. top athletes, and then I was looking, and I'm like, wow, I'm like, I'm not them, but I'm right there. So now after you know talking to you, I'm thinking, question all that. Was that even 
legit. You know, it wasn't even healthy for my body to be that. You know, that that's an interesting question. So there's different methodologies for testing someone's fat. There's the water immersion and there's and I know I went a different direction. Yeah. But I just, just so there, you know, there's the pinch test and, and there's, um, you know, you have machines people can step on where they're, 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 they're measuring your, you know, your Yeah, I was in a bubble. Versus, I was in yeah. a bubble with the water at UNLV. Yeah. yeah. So different tests and... Um, but it's interesting, like basically another way of asking is like, what's an ideal weight for a certain athlete? There you right? go. That. Um, Cause I've heard even like NFL, while, while I've heard you hear of like maybe a wrestler who's super lean or a cross country runner who's got super lean, low body fat. And you might think, well that, you know, if an Ethiopian runner is 5%, 6% body fat, I mean, cause it might be hard for them, they're naturally skinny. So that might be like, eh, no big deal, you know, a runner, uh, even a wrestler. But I've heard like for NFL where you have the collisions, fat can be a cushion. And, and so, you you know, you hear like, man, in the NFL, it wouldn't be a good idea. It wouldn't be like, man, you're 5% body fat. That's, that's, I've seen suggestions that, hey, no, that ain't a good idea for certain, for a high contact violent sport Line like that. Of course, yeah. Probably. Yeah. So... I would say at the end of the day, a lot of it really is how you feel. I mean, it's just how you feel. If you feel, I mean, now, I've, I've been to 3% body fat. I've been to, five, I was 5.3% body fat um, last August for the Masters World Championships right. Jiu-Jitsu. And I felt really good. And I always say, because like, when you look at fighters, and by the way, everyone, Bernard has got a lot of boxing experience. He's trained, uh, you know, out there, and, and this guy knows the boxing craft very well uh, compared to most. And he's also friends with the Mark, Mark Ratner. Yeah, who my God, that's my guy. used to be the head of the, the Las <laughs> Vegas, you know, the, the, the most prestigious boxing commission in the world here in Las Vegas. Mark Ratner, now a vice president, longtime vice president at UFC. Hello, Mark Ratner man of many talents and as Dana White used to say to me he has no natural enemies like he's like Dana White used to say if you don't like Mark Ratner he, you're a douchebag that's he, he, I just gotta tell you a quick story about Mr. Ratner before we get to your question so yeah. when I first moved down to Vegas um, uh, he saw me in the gyms playing basketball and um, I, I used to train his son Son, mm -hmm. Division One basketball player. Played in Israel. Played in Israel, hiding, real good kid. So I actually went to his graduation in Pennsylvania. Um, real friends with the family. But anyway, um, it got back to Mr. Ratner that I was just a boxing fanatic. So he comes to the gym and says, hey, man, um, you know, this is he's still in the commission. You know, I got something for you. So so next time I see him, uh, he gives him some tickets to the Lehman Brewster fight. And uh, I'll never forget this moment. So, had never been to a live fight in Vegas. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Vegas, this is where you want to be, right? This is my, man, I must have walked in the, uh, the arena at like 11 o'clock. Like maybe the first people in yeah, the gym. Yeah, but, first through there. Yeah, first through there. But Mr. Ratner's a good guy, man. Uh, you know, Who did Lehman Brewster fight that night? He fought, uh, he, he lost. That's a great name, by the way. Lehman Brewster, like Buster Douglas. They got some of these you know great what? names. Lehman Brewster. I, I should be you know, if I saw went to rock, uh, box rec, I would tell you I'm just the name. Yeah. It's not. Um, and because I actually think I was at that fight too. Yeah. I was at a Lehman Brewster. Yeah, it was a Lehman Brewster. I'm trying to think who, I, it, who it yeah. was. Um, it wasn't Evander. It wasn't Evander. It was a white guy. I can't remember his name. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't Tommy. Uh, it wasn't Tommy Morrison. No, it wasn't Tommy Morrison. This was 04 because okay. it had just happened after. I remember Roy Jones had just lost to Antonio Tarr. Uh, I got knocked out. Or knocked this, out. This, this is the, the second fight. Over. This is the second fight because I had. I can remember it was like May 
I moved down here like May 10th or something. Like, so it was yeah. that week. So he oh, had you just, just hit the ground running. You're in a beautiful. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it was it was within that time frame. So, um, but anyway, I, I can't remember exactly who he fought, but I just remember being there, um, super excited, and then him just kind of introduced me into a lot the box box game. And, yeah. Get my energy back up to start fighting and start he, getting get sparring and stuff like that. He, he's an interesting guy because he has that. I mean, Mark. No offense if you're listening, but Mark, you know he's not he's not the most athletic guy, and he, he's very cavalier, and he and he's like almost like a an ambassador to some country. Yeah. I mean, he just has this statesmanly, dignified air about him. Um, but he's just a cool character. Cool I've, character. I've never seen Mark Ratner. Uh, I've never seen him angry or upset or fired up about it i mean sure he has but he's just a real cool cool as a cucumber yep so um that's my mark ratner story i'm sorry so i missed yeah. exactly what you so so we're paying homage to mark ratner who has been you know behind the scenes even the ufc on the regulation the government regulation level the, the government piece right getting all of the states on the same page for sanctioning these events, making them legal, getting the states to bless and may, I mean, very significant in the growth of UFC and the sport of MMA, one of those Jedis, I call them the Jedis behind the Jedi. Going back now to weight cutting, and so you say, yeah. you know, what, which body fat percent, right? Because some of us can brag, I was a 5.3%, like, is that a good thing, though, right. right? Is it a good thing to be like, I'm down this low? Right. At what point is it is it detrimental or dangerous? Well, I would say let let's let's take a step back for a second. So I see you see in like the UFC space where they cut a lot of weight. I mean, right? They cut more weight than, than the boxers right. do, and and so one of the and you know they'll brag I cut thirty pounds and whatever. And so same thing is like bragging rights. Hey, I, how much weight do you cut? I cut thirty. You know, it's it's assumed that you're tougher. Oh, Bernard's cutting thirty-two. I'm only cutting sixteen. Damn, he must be mentally tougher than me. He must want to win more than me. He must be smarter than me because he's smarter than me at the weight cut. But what's interesting is when you see people at at you know at the weight cut, how do they look? Do they look like the Walking Dead? Do they have the sunken in, you know, the black, you know, black under their eyes, and they look sunken in? They look dead. Their pupils are super dilated. How do they look? The quality of the weight cut. So all weight cuts are not created equal, and. So there, there's a lot to be said for like when I had my weight cut last at, at Masters Worlds last year. I mean that was you know that was the best weight cut of my life, and I looked and felt good. I didn't look like the Walking Dead. Yeah, I didn't have a butt and all that sort of thing, and I was lean, but in my face I looked healthy. I wasn't irritable. You know, a lot of people they get that, that weight cut, they're irritable, they're angry, they're hating life, right? So, so it is. How is that person when they're at five percent? Are they feeling good? Are they? They have some, some, you know, some spunk in them. Some hop in their step. How, what, what's going on with their eyes? They look like? Are they? Do they look gaunt? You know, gaunt and a little bit ghostly. Well, how are they looking? And so there's a lot to be said for that. If you're wearing that five percent and you feel like, man, I'm at five percent, and because we're all different. At the end of the day, we are all different. And if you're wearing that five percent and you feel like your recovery is great day to day. You don't look ghostly. You don't look like The Walking Dead. Um, you're not depriving yourself. You know, if you're if you're at five percent and you're you're the you know you're having high quality workouts, you're eating. You're not denying and depriving yourself because I'm a big believer, especially for high level athletes. Um, do not deny and deprive yourself. Right? Are we at five percent because we're counting calories and we're being? No, you should be liberally. You're drinking. You know, you're you're you're, you're drinking a lot of good fluids and coconut water, water you know, watermelon. Um, you're eating 
when you're hungry. And then if it just so happens that this is where the chips fall, God has me at 5%, then that's where the chips fall. But, but so, you know, so it, it, there is no, you know this, it's just like boxing where there is no, the jab is the best punch in Absolutely. MMA and boxing. It's the, it, but the, by the way, the jab is the best weapon in all of fighting, everybody out there listening. I mean, if you told me to start a fighter, whether you're talking about a boxer or you're talking about an MMA fighter, and I'm, I've got that grappling expertise more than anything, but I would say if you told me, Frank, build a fighter from the ground up, what's, your, what's your wish list? I would say, give me... Give me somebody with a long, that long, ragey jab, a good timing on it, and good, stiff, crisp, you know, you feel it, make you, make you feel the jab, right? right? And then secondly, if we're talking MMA, UFC, give me somebody that has great takedown defense. So now that person can establish that jab and, and then be hard to take down. And then one, as you know, Bernard, why is the jab the best punch? Because if you establish that jab, Anything you want to throw behind it's going to work. Right, absolutely. Right? I mean, they cannot stop the jab. They're not stopping everything that's coming behind it. You know, and it's funny. People get, get uh, Floyd, you know, they don't know how great of a fighter he Floyd was. Floyd Mayweather. Floyd Mayweather. Uh, and, you know, he never used a jab. But he actually did. Hmm. You know, what he would do was he would flick it out there. Floyd had great timing. People don't never talk about his timing. and But he set it up with... That little flicking jab, like you said, the jab it always started with the jab and then he timed it. And was so, he uh, looking for a reaction when he would throw that flicking he, jab? So would, he would use the jab not to hit you crisp and, and stiff, just but just 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 to get a reaction. Well, out you of know you. Floyd better than anyone. Counter because he was considered a counterfighter, well, so he right. wanted so a his, reaction so that he could then counter that reaction. Well, his best punch was a straight right hand. I mean, he would counter. I mean, he would hit anybody with a straight right hand because he set it up with the jab. He would flick it, throw this out there a little bit, counter. He was the best at it. Yeah. Best yeah, he's doing, it's interesting. Um, you have people like him or even Demetrius Johnson, they're doing things that, that, you know, that just aren't appreciated. There's only, there's very few people, but it takes real to recognize real. It right. takes a Jedi to yeah. recognize a Jedi. Well, it takes yeah. high level to recognize. I would say the same thing about Floyd Mayweather. I understand people would say he's boring, he doesn't knock people out. People understand phone booth fighting, right? They, <laughs> under, they understand heart. They understand... Fighter A is hurt, fighter B is hurt, they're both tired, their mouths are hanging open. Right. Who wants it more? Right. We love that, that's dramatic. Right. What people have a hard time is the, the, the subtlety, the sophistication. Like one thing that I always love about Floyd Mayweather, and by the way, if you're listening uh, and you're you're not a fight fan, don't don't tune off because there's a lot you can learn from a Jedi um, like Floyd Mayweather. There is a lot to be learned. Um, because it's a metaphor for things that carry over to everything, entrepreneurship, certain ways to lead your life. I mean, right. the guy did do, he, he, there, he's got certainly a, a, a long list of transgressions and things too along the way, but he has done a lot, a lot, a lot right and very clean living. Even when he would go out, he wasn't drinking, he wasn't, he wasn't doing things that, that undermine a lot of people. But, but anyway, getting back to Floyd, one thing that I always, I admired about him is that he, he could fight you one way round one, one way round two, complete different way round three, give you another unique look round four, and then in round five, mix them all together. And that is genius, and to have the confidence to do that. And he'd do that against, we're talking about the best fighters in the world. He's doing that. Right, and, and the funny thing is about that, you know, and I know we're gonna transition to that, but that's kind of what me and you're doing in life. Yeah. You know, we're making adjustments. I mean, if we get to that level in our cooperative life where we can be working here 
then go here, and go here. We're going to be high level. And that's what he did. And I want to give you a flip side of it with Roy Jones was on the other side of it. Roy Jones was completely super athletic. Roy Jones can throw a six-punch combination and not get hit. And one of them would be uppercut, which is a you can't throw a, a, a lead with an uppercut. I mean, you know that. I mean, you ain't got to be a boxer fan. You can't leave it uppercut. He used to do that all the time and never get hit. That's fascinating within itself. So, yeah, there, again, there's no right, there's no one way. <laughs> and he was opposite. He was on yeah. the other spectrum of Floyd. He yeah. was just extremely athletic. You know, not as fundamentally sound, but probably one of the top ten fighters in, in the world. Mm. I mean, all time. By the way, Floyd Mayweather played a lot of basketball. Did you ever play basketball? Yes, you ever Floyd's not that good. <laughs> he's not, I mean, I mean, you know, and, I, and I've met Floyd. Floyd's good. He's, I mean, he has really no left hand. You would think you have a great left hand. He plays a lot of basketball. He actually played here. He comes to work out here. Not that good, but cool dude. Does he, can he go to his right and his left? No, just right-handed. That's he all he can do. He, right. go he don't side. go left at all. And I'm sure that, that people playing, playing with him mess no, with they, him. No, yeah, well, you know, actually, um, one of the guys, I don't know if I should mention his name, but one of the guys know Floyd real well. Uh, he works at MGM, and he would give him a hard time. He's like, Floyd, why don't you ever go to your left? So he would mess with him. But, you know, he's cool. He would bring his entourage here. He actually come, he had to come work out here every once in a while. He used to do it at our old gym, Lifetime. He used to do it all the time. Now, it's always interesting because we're here at Lifetime Gym in Green Valley, and we're lucky because in Las Vegas we see you have the NBA uh, Summer League that comes through here, and you have you have you know, world-class soccer players. So we see a lot of people in the gym. Nobody bothers them, right? We see no. Terrell Suggs was here, so uh, Mike Bibby. I mean, there was everybody. Was what's there. the guy from baseball? Uh, the the, the uh, guy from Washington. Oh uh, yeah, well, Bryce, Bryce Bryce Harper. He's here all the time. Yeah, so the lot we see yeah. a lot of you heavyweight champion, the guy that just fought. Uh, um, God, he was here. I can't think of it. He just had a fight here. Um, he just lost to the heavyweight champion. Um, he, yeah, but we have a lot of celebrities here. Yeah, I can't think of it. Yeah, so it's interesting, and so I've seen a lot of you see the NFL players, etc. But I always wonder, and they're up there running ball, they're up there playing basketball, and I'm always thinking the risk, right? We never, I never heard, hey Floyd hurt his ankle playing you know yeah. playing ball and even Terrell Suggs who had a torn ACL I'm sorry torn Achilles tendon right. he plays for the Baltimore Ravens I love him you know was former defense NFL defensive player of the year I saw he's 37 he's up there with on his repaired surgically repaired Achilles running ball and I'm right. thinking man at the league might be oh, man is, is it safe for our guy but he's still playing a lot, a lot I mean, of people still running he's ball still playing Jordan Farmer who plays for Lakers who plays for the Lakers he plays in the league uh ex um you play against some of these yeah, guys too? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And then um, uh, Junkyard Dog, he plays. I don't know if you remember him. Uh, Jerome Williams, he played for the Detroit Pistons back in the okay. day. So he plays in the league. So, yeah, we have a, a lot of guys. That's more, mainly a lot of guys that play overseas, but we do have a couple of NBA guys that come. Uh, Corey McGetty plays for, I don't know if you know who he yeah, is. He plays for, Duke. Duke, play for Duke, Duke, right? for Duke, yeah. He plays in tournament. Yeah, and so. and the guy, as a guy with the last name Carreri Forza, anytime I hear the vowels flowing, like, Spaghetti, that, that's a good, that, that's a right, good. Right, right. So, and, and a lot of those guys, like I said, they they cool, man. They they still, they competitive like me and you. They want to come out and say, look, I'm in the NBA for a reason. So they'll come out and um, they'll play. And they actually respect guys like me because I'll go at them, you know. And, and, and it's nothing personal. It's just, it's right. still basketball. It's still football. It's still boxing. You know, I remember Roy Jones had this interview. He was like, hey, man, if I got in the ring with, uh, 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 what's the guy's name? Uh, Roy Patterson. Not, Floyd Patterson. Floyd Patterson, excuse me. I'm going to win. I mean, he's my idol, but I'm still going to win. And at the end of the day, if, you know, you, me and you friends or, you know, you still want to win, right? I mean, it had nothing to do with me not liking you. This is the competitive side. Right. And they like people like us going at them. They'll come dap us up and say, hey, man, you know, thank you for giving us that work. So We're going to talk about 
competitive versus cooperative because it's like yin and yang. There's a balance, and it can be a very delicate balancing act for a lot of people out there. I'm some, excited about that. So yeah, some people are too competitive, and that's going to hurt them in certain aspects of their life. Some people are too cooperative, and that's going to hurt them, right? So it's just like ego. Anything is like, how do I balance my ego? And that can be a challenge for us, and especially as athletes. We're going to talk that, but first, since we're on the topic of basketball and all these, you know, pro athletes and interesting people you get to share the basketball court with, you did play D1. You had you mentioned to me earlier you had an opportunity to play professional basketball overseas in Argentina, which is known to have some really good basketball. Yep. But you had a dilemma there. You had the opportunity to tell yeah. us about that. Well, you know, it's funny. Um, when I graduated, I had an opportunity to go to Argentina. And at the time, you know, um, I had just got a uh, offer to get my uh, master's paid for, um, two-year master's paid for. And um, my wife currently was my girlfriend. And we were staying with some um, friends of the family, friends that we, you know, that were family members. And so at the time, I went and got my passport. I put her in like a little mother-in-law house and you know we had everything set I was I was gone and I woke up in the morning and was like you know what it's probably better for me to go get my master's you woke up the day of what the day of getting ready to leave oh wow and said you know it's probably better for me to get my master's told my wife well my girlfriend at the time and she was like are you sure because she was all for me going I mean she you know she didn't want me to live my basketball professional dream but just didn't do it so, the song, you did not write the song, Don't Cry For Me, Argentina. No, that wasn't me. That wasn't <laughs> me. That wasn't me. <laughs> Don't Cry for, for Bernard, Argentina. But it was the best, looking at it hindsight, 2020, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, you know, I'm that the, my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, um, I got my master's paid for, didn't have to pay, have no debt. Um, you, know, you know, a lot of people that go to college oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. got a debt. Yeah. And you know some of the guys that I, that went and played overseas, which I don't have no you know animosity towards. Um, when they come out, they come out sometimes 30, 31 years old, not knowing where they want to go. They they are they're lost. And so um, you know people like me or you, kind of lucky. You know we're you know we figured it out. Yeah, we still was competitive. We still played professionally, but we kind of always had a vision. Some of our our, our peers don't have that vision, and so. Um, Playing against those guys in the gyms kind of gave me affirmation that, okay, if I'd have got that opportunity, I would have been okay. Now, let's talk about that because we see people that I respect a lot. Um, Gary, you know, Gary V, Peter Thiel, who's a billionaire out there and, and is very, uh, whatever people think of his politics, he is a brilliant business mind and, and thinks like a philosopher. And we do see sort of colleges under siege now. Both you and I have a college degree. I graduated from the University of Maryland. Bernard's here, he's, he's one up me. He's got the master's degree, <laughs> the bachelor's degree and the master's degree. But, and so it's, it's basically a lot of people are asking the question now, what is a college degree worth? Who should go to college? And how much does college even teach us that's, that's applicable to the real world? What, did, what was your personal experience? What was the value of that bachelor's degree and that master's degree? Well, you make, you make a great point. For me, being having that stigma of an athlete, it was much more important for me to get a college degree. I think a person who just went strictly academic and didn't really have no athletic background, mm -hmm. I, I think they can get away with maybe having a high school, having a bachelor's degree. Me and you have a stigma associated with us. Oh, he's just a jock. 
And so for me, I felt like I was much more than a child. Mm -hmm. So uh, to answer your question as far as, we all know in college degree, most of it is in theory. A lot of it's theory, I mean, but. Might not carry over. Might not carry over. Um, but my particular field, uh, theory was important because um, my mom was a home provider. So I grew up with living with people with disabilities. Mm. So they were with people who were severely disabled. So you followed in your mom's footsteps. And pretty much. She worked with a lot of disabled yeah, people I mean, too. They, they stayed with us. I mean, the uh, most most severe. Like they had, yeah. I mean, where nurses would come to our homes and, you know, have to give them medication. My mom what, what, what kind of conditions did you see people with when even uh, when you were young and your mom cared uh, for them? I mean, they were profoundly MR. I mean, they had multiple, I mean, CP. What, uh, what CP? Uh, cerebral palsy. Cerebral palsy, uh, cerebral palsy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so, I mean, the lowest of lowest intellectual ability. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, they were nonverbal. What what do you think gave your mother the capacity? Not everybody is mentally wired to care for people that are that hurt and, and see that kind of pain and suffering every day. Your mom was wired that way, why? What, what do you think gave her that capacity, that empathy, that, that love to care for people that a lot of people just, they feel bad, but they don't want to see it. You know, I, I just think you just, I think it's just something you have in you. Um, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Youngstown, Ohio. That's kind of where we grew up. Is at. that where you, yeah, yeah I grew that's up interesting. There. I just talked yeah. to my buddy. Yeah, I, I, that's rough, that's rough. Yeah, yeah, I grew up in Youngstown. But Blue collar, rough, rough, yeah, rough section. What I remember about it most, mostly my, my, my mom was that we, not only did we have you know, people with disabilities stay with us. I remember one of the, the kid guy's name was Poppy. And he was an older gentleman, he was probably 50 years old, and he was a white white guy. We lived in an all-black area. So we had a neighborhood neighbor, right, um, who was right in front of us who was white. And in our area, everybody was just the same. You know, I mean, you get to the West Coast, you know, get parts of the East Coast, you know, you have those lines, blurred. Mm -hmm. But where, where we were at, when you were poor, you were poor, no matter if you were right. white. Right. You know, and so that was just one of the things that I remember the most about my childhood is that it didn't matter who you were. If you were, if you were an asshole, you were an asshole. Mm -hmm. um, if you were a good guy, you were a good guy. And that's just what I. And I think getting back to my mom, I think that's just what she kind of raised in me. And so getting back to working with people with disabilities, I think you just got to have a heart. And was, was your mom? Where did where did her that compassion love? I mean, some people it may come from their faith, it may come from religious faith. Where did it come from I, for her? I, I couldn't answer. I just. I mean, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I just growing up, that's all we knew. Like, yeah. I mean. How many, how many brothers and sisters? I have two sisters. Okay. Did, um, how many people out of Youngston, Ohio, uh, where they have they produced some really good football players down that part, that part of the country, but how many people there, they produced Kelly Pavlik, the boxer, they produced Ray Boom Boom Mancini, yep. they produced some really good college, college coaches, yep. some, Tressie. you know, some awesome, yeah, what's his name? Mark Um, how many people in your estimation were getting college degrees coming out of Youngston? None. None. I mean, it's funny. I one of my friends who went to school. So you, you were a statistical anomaly. Absolutely. You were a rarity getting, my whole, my, coming out of there getting you college. My, how, many, how many people you know your buddies that got college degrees? In Youngstown? Uh, probably one. I think one of the girls that uh, lived down the street from there, her name was Nicole Hackett. Um, I think she ended up going to the Air Force. And I think ended up getting her degree. 
But other than that, I, I don't. Anyone from my my neighborhood, I don't. I don't think. Who planted that seed then? What, what was it? Athletics that, or was your mom planting the seed of hey, you were going to college? What, what, where did that come from? You, you know, you, you, I, were, you were the exception to the rule. I think what happened was my mom. I think changed my environment. I think it got so bad. It was getting so bad in Youngstown. Um, she moved us to Colorado Springs. I went to Colorado. Oh, wow. I went to high school in Colorado Springs. So I moved like my end of my eighth grade year to ninth grade year. So it was getting that bad to where she moved us out because she she saw everybody either die or die. I mean, and just moved us. And so I always think that my mom made a lot of sacrifices for me um, to be where I'm at today. I mean, no, she doesn't have a college degree, um, or, you know, but. So you you saw you saw better. I mean, again, Colorado Springs. You got mountains. You got yeah, sunshine. Yeah. You got you got. And it nature. was a, it was the flip side of that. So I went from a, a predominantly you know urban area to going to an all you know white area. You yeah. know what I mean? And so how were you treated? You know, you know, looking back at it now, it was I was okay. It was okay. Um, but again, it was a great thing to happen for me because. It let me learn diversity, biodiversity, and so you had that boxing background. Right, you started right. boxing when you're five years right. old. So then, fought in so it may, it maybe maybe Springs. if you did have a problem, yeah. you, you were able to maybe. Yeah, you know, I never worried about. And I don't say that to be tough guy yeah. or anything like that. But you, we talked about that. Like, you know, some guys that'll say something to you, and you, you know, you got to be the bigger man. But you never worried about getting an altercation. I'm, I'm never worried about that. That's the last thing I'm worried about because I'll handle myself. I mean, win or lose, I think when you fight. I think people, a lot of people don't understand is that when you're in a fight game, um, if you fight enough, you're gonna take a loss. Mm -hmm. See, a lot of times people say, oh, you know, I'm undefeated and all that. Well, you ain't fought, if you ain't, it's always someone better out there for you. For me, it's how you respond to that. So when I lost my fights or gotten any fist fights like that, they never wanted to fight again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was like, we're done with that, let's resolve that. Yep. You know, let's, you know, you know that. And so, I never worried about that part, but as far as the Kawa Springs thing, um, it helped me realize that, you know, because you grew up with these certain stigmas, oh man, you're a, you know, the white man's out to get you and all that type of stuff, and blah, 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 and, and being in that area, you're thinking, okay, well, is that just a myth? And then you had to kind of go up and, and learn that. And so then went to college, and then in an all Hispanic area, um, five minutes from Mexico. So the best, education has ever happened to me not only not my academic was my life experience as you when you're a fighter you go to different places my best experience has been my life experience i mean i i value that just as equal or even more than my education achievements yeah i always say live it living it trumps reading it and yes. even though i'm a fan of reading Absolutely. and being a you know a, a, an avid reader but living it and that's where you draw the deeper lessons Absolutely. than just to read it right um What's interesting, man, you taught in so many things, but- And I'm so, sorry, man, I know I've kind of got- We do, we have, the, we have the reverse, because my first 13 years were spent in, in predominantly uh, black areas, Baltimore, Baltimore yeah. at times exclusively black, me being the only white person yeah. there. Um, and, and what's interesting is people look at all of us and they see me, I have the, you know, the straight black hair and yeah. the blue eyes and the, sometimes the suntan and people will make assumptions that maybe, maybe I grew up better than I did. Right. But uh, the most loving family to myself and my brother Tony and my brother Joey when we were growing up, um, the most loving family was a, was a black family. Right. And we lived with a steel worker named Thomas Boone and a, his wife Kathleen Boone and they would just basically... They took in so many kids. Right. They didn't care if they were white, black. Right. Um, they took in so many kids, and they always found a way to feed them. 
and um, and it's just interesting to think what probably we felt the most loved in a, in a with a black family right. that was black black like right. inner city right. black family right, right? Um, and it's just interesting how we all have our trajectory and our life experience and those things are very valuable because I can relate to a lot a broader spectrum of people Absolutely. I think because I've had that um, that experience and some people again a lot of a lot of what's going on out here in society even people that might be really prejudiced or really biased or, or even racist some of those people are what they are because they just they haven't had the exposure so they, don't, they might not even mean harm by it but they say something inappropriate or because they don't know they haven't been trained they haven't had they haven't rubbed up against people at a young age where they can like learn hey there's nothing it's all good you know right. they, they haven't that's why it's it's I think it's very valuable for a lot of parents out there to immerse the kids I was talking to a buddy yesterday and his dad used to take them play basketball when he was like in, in high school and he would take them to the to the uh, black neighborhoods yeah. and like look you're gonna play here this is where you're playing I have a friend and, and, he, and he was a middle class kid but his dad would be like no you're you're playing you gotta learn how to you know coexist and this is where the best players are and I need you I need to toughen you up and I need you to learn how to get along with a, a broader special people I don't want I you having it easy right so you know you have people like that that mindfully intentionally you're, you're, here you are you and it's funny now. Yeah, you're used to it. It's funny, and I gotta, I gotta do the reverse for my daughter. And so I gotta, you know, she's not gonna grow up like I grew up, mm -hmm. you know. And so I have to do something different. I have to get her that exposure um, to know that people are people, and they just have different circumstances. And so, um, but it's funny we were talking about the cooperative and competitive. I think all those experiences, you know, I think have made me who I am, even in my my day to day work. I mean, you know, I think you know, and uh, for me typical day I'm probably working 15 hours a day yeah yeah you have multiple you're, yeah you're I juggling mean, you're yeah, wearing multiple professional I'm working, hats you know, yeah I'm, I'm you know I, we look we just had a we, I'm doing a downtown basketball league I got eight corporations that participate downtown Las Vegas downtown Las Vegas and you work you one of your jobs is you work for the city of Las Vegas right right yeah. so uh, one of the things I, I'm doing this business, is business is good Las business, Vegas is right is, but the thing is, is this is big, big, big. so my specialization is working with people with disabilities but because this is a, a project and I, I being in Lifetime, knowing a lot of different people, some of the guys, like a friend of mine, uh, he owns Life is Beautiful. I'm gonna tell you the story. He owns, he, uh, he's CEO of Life is Beautiful. He goes mm -hmm. to the gym. And he was like, Bernard, hey man, um, I wanna do I wanna do something for the downtown. I wanna do something for the downtown. So what's, what's, what's up, you know, what you wanna do, Justin? He said, I wanna do a basketball league downtown, just for downtown. All right, cool. So he calls Apples. Um, they called the Downtown Project. I called a couple of friends, called the DA's office, a AG's office, and now we got a downtown basketball league that I'm running. All people I know from the gym, and it's went from six teams to eight teams, and then I might even have like eight teams next year. Mm -hmm. And this ain't even my regular job. Right. But I only say that is because it's kind of the work ethic that I have. Like, I mean, I'm used to always working. Like, I mean, doing two days. I, I mean, I'm 39 years old and I still do two days. For what? <laughs> Why am I doing two days? It's just, but I have this saying, I remember, um, I used to say to myself, hard work does not guarantee success. But without it, you ain't nobody. And I think about that all the time. Like, so if I don't work hard, I'm not who I am today. Right. Um, and I hope, I didn't, I hope no, I'm not no, cutting you no, off. No, 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 no. And go, going back really quick to, to the college degree thing, because I want to address that, because you, you said something interesting where in your particular case, it was valuable because the stigma of, you know, you, it was helping you also shake the stigma of oh he's just a jock he's just yeah. an athlete and it gave you it gave you 
multiple options. It gave you a better path and a, and a stronger sense of direction. Like, what am I going to do when, what I call, when the cheering stops? Right. When, when my athletic career is ever over, what would I do? It was funny, man. It, 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 to get into that, I have a friend who, a uh, really good friend of mine, um, who actually did some time. Uh, he did like 10 years. And, um, in prison. In prison. And we, all, we grew up together. And, and he told me this. He said, Bernard, when you were in high school and college, you know, when we used to do crazy stuff like that, you always had a vision. You always kind of knew where you were going. You knew that just messing around wouldn't have no, you know, you knew you were going to college. And what I, back to your original point, when I was in college, even when I was playing, I remember at the time, email was just coming in. So we used to have to fax our papers to our professors. You know, I remember we had a three-day road trip. We were in El Paso, and my professor had her paper out of right. I had a fax to her. And I remember just giving her, you know, let her know, hey, we're going to be out for four or five days. Hey, but I really are interested in this, this, this um, you know, this paper. I'm going to get it in. I never took the route of my other teammates who just said, nah, tell the coach to talk to the, the you know, the teacher. No, I, I wouldn't talk to the teacher. And so I think that was probably part of my um, decision, you know, not going. I don't know what made me wake up that morning to decide not to go. Not, not going to Argentina. But, but I think, yeah, but I think I always knew that I could do more. And so I didn't, I didn't want to be some of my, my peers, not saying it's a bad way. I didn't want to come out of playing basketball because – I will say this. I remember thinking about being a five-seven point guard going to Argentina. Yeah, Bernard's making... five foot seven, guys. Yeah. But he's quick. He looks quick. <laughs> five-seven point guard. Doesn't get tired either. <laughs> five-seven point guard. Uh, you know, making two thousand a month. I mean, I thought about that. Um, going to be in the B division because in overseas is B division. May get to the A division, or um, get my master's paid for for two years in wide range of possibilities. I mean, that's really what I thought of. I mean, going through that did cycle. You, did you consult your mom for advice or no? No. Actually, it was just really a decision on my own. So this is the interesting thing. And for me, with the college degree, because, again, it's not for everybody, and you could get yourself in debt. I mean, the people that go to college, there's people who go to college for different reasons. Some people go to college is like you're just supposed to. The family right. expects them to. They have no clue what they want to do, right. and they're just sort of like, "Let me kill time. I'll buy myself some time, and maybe when I'm in college, a light bulb will go off, and I'll figure out what the heck I'm supposed to do." Um, but I need to go to college because I was supposed to go to college, and this is the way to make money. But no plan, no idea what to do. No. Right. Uh, and that's a lot of people, unfortunately. For me, I because I came from 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 Baltimore, where Johns Hopkins did a study. I think it was four percent of the kids coming out of the neighborhoods I came out of. Uh, get the college degree by the time they're 30. Right. So, again, I'm a rarity. I'm a statistical anomaly in that city. And I think for me, the college degree was valuable because it gave me, it just gave me confidence. It just gave me confidence that, like, you are capable. People didn't see that in me. They were like, oh, he'll be, he'll be uh, a Marine. Nothing wrong with that. He'll be, you know, he'll go and, you know, but, but he's just, he's a, he's a grunt, he's a worker, he's a landscaper, he's a wrestler, he's a hard-nosed guy, he needs phys hard physical labor, because I was good at that. And, but, uh, but so it, it, it was good for me psychologically because it sort of helped me redefine, like, no, you are, you are brain smart as well. You are creative, you are capable to be intellectually smart. You finish what you start. Because again, the one thing a college degree does show, if somebody is sitting before you, you and I are gonna hire someone, it at least shows they finished what they started. They started and they finished. It doesn't tell me that they're brilliant. It doesn't tell me that the Harvard grad is necessarily 
better for my company than the grad from Spelman or you know wherever uh, you know um, Howard University it doesn't tell me that uh, because there are a lot of other moving parts but it tells me man this person at least woke up most days went to class did enough and and it tells me that there's probably a little bit, uh, again, it's like a jiu-jitsu black belt. A jiu-jitsu black belt doesn't mean you can kick everybody's butt in the building. It doesn't work like that. It just means, hey, it takes on average the nine to 10 years, maybe 13 years in a lot of cases, and this person stayed on that path. That tells me a lot in that regard, right? It doesn't tell me that black belt guy can beat up, you know, whoever, prison, prison inmate, whoever. It doesn't tell me that. Um, That's a, so You make a great analogy. Yeah, so so that that so the college degree again. Now, if I was a kid at say I'd been born to a very uh, into a very affluent family, and my mom and dad had a great business, and they could teach me that business, they could mentor me, and and uh, I can go into the family business, and they could shorten my learning curve. And let's just say, Dad said, "Look, you don't need to go there. I can teach your mom can teach me all the business and marketing, whatever I need to learn. Right. We got a great network. We got plenty of money." Maybe college is a waste, right? I mean, Steve Jobs, college dropout. Bill Gates, college dropout. Um, and maybe it's overrated if you can go other places or you just love reading books and you have a, a parent or a mentor who can just say, no, I'm just these are the 50 books or whatever, and I'm going to take you under my wing. But not everybody has that that situation, right? And not everybody, and again, some people want to go to an, into a field where college degree, I mean, you being a master, especially you work for the city of Vegas, like, a lot of cities and, and governments, they do like degrees, you know, right. master's degree, PhD, that, especially in that government, I think government's like one out of every five jobs in America, by right. the way, right. and government loves an education, yeah. they love that MBA, PhD thing, and, you know, and, and it, you make it, can, a, it can take you far. And you make a great point with, with that in government, you're right, all a degree shows you that you went through it, doesn't show you that your ability to lead, it doesn't show you ability to be able to comprehend, mm -hmm. um, because now, it shows some ambition though too. You got ambition, that right? You know? Right. It shows that it does. Um, yeah. But then on the flip side, of that you go get your PhD. Someone can look at that as being overachieving. Yeah. You know, so you got a lot to balance, and so, um, you know, I think for me, when we originally talked about the competitive and cooperative, I, I think being so competitive helped me be, it's helped me be successful in my in my my day to day as yeah. far as knowing when I got a project to do. You know, for example, like I said, I had a basketball league. I woke up at 5 o'clock this morning to do everything else, to get ready. Mm. And I don't got to start to work at 8 o'clock. But it's just something that, you know, I do. I mean... How many days a week do you work out, by the way? Six. I only take one day off. Yeah. And... And I do different types of stuff. I've exercise been like, has been a part of your life or sports for how many years? Uh, I mean... I mean, I worked out all through college. I mean, but probably since tenth grade. You do a lot of the cardio work too. You tell me you you go to UNLV and you UNLV oh. University of Nevada Las Vegas has these hills there. You yeah. tell me about best so hills to run best around hills here. So, so I'll tell you like my day. So I'll, I'll go like on Mondays. I usually do like two of those. So I wake up in the morning. I'll go do I'll lift weights and do sprints. Then I'll come come back here because uh, my daughter has tennis practice, and then I'll go swim and then stretch. And then Tuesday's usually my day off. Wednesday, I'll do the same thing uh, that I did on Monday. Thursday, I usually have a, I'll go play a basketball game. And then Friday, I'll do lift, lift weights and do cardio. Then Saturday, what I'll do is I'll ride my bike to the gym, which is probably about 25 miles. Play basketball. Oh, wow, really? Yeah, yeah. we'll back, going back. Even, even if it's hot? Oh, yeah. Doesn't matter. 
been met. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll come. You I'll built be, up to the. Heat. Yeah. Well, I'll come in. I'll, I'll come in at like I'll leave my house at like six thirty. You start playing basketball at eight thirty. Play like seven or eight games. Leave at eleven and go back home. Yeah. And I do that on Saturdays and then on Sundays. What does that bike ride do? What's driving you and motivating you? What does that bike ride do for you? Why is it so important? For me, it's, I feel like um, it's when you play basketball or even boxing, as you know, it's the endurance side of it. I think it's the speed and then it's endurance. So I look at it for more building up for my endurance. And so even anytime I want to do speed work, I got to get my endurance, in my mind, I got to get my endurance up before I get my speed. Mm-hmm. So I always do my bike rides so I can get ready for Monday. Man, that's that, that, that's wonderful that you do that long bike ride. But then you think of Vegas drivers, and you must. Well, man, my wife you, doesn't like that. She oh gets man, scared. yeah, yeah, it's scared. amazing. You yeah. just see, uh, yeah, you know how you know your cars get so close, yeah. and you just it's, just, it's yeah. faith. You have to put faith in the fellow yeah. humans to say that they're considerate. They see. Uh, right. Well, I want to say th- one thing before we go, man. Um, you you've actually uh, re uh, made me rethink my thinking as far as hydration. And uh, so I'm excited it's about so, you. Listen, yeah, it's so, listen, I'm it's excited about so, you coming out. Because so, think about it. Yeah. Hydration is not just, it's not just athletic performance. Right. It's not just muscle performance. It's not just how many push-ups can I do. Right. It is literally the brain power. It, it, you are as good, I am as good as the circulation to your brain, as the oxygen to your brain. Right. So we're talking about creativity. We are talking about mind clarity. We are talking about so so many other things than just eat healthy. You can live a long time. Right. That's the, that's that's scratching the surface of it. So when we talk about, I mean, you talk about the basic needs that humans have. I mean, you have, you know, the air you breathe, and you have water. You know, you die quicker from lack of water than like we pref- we we need water more than we need um, food. And you hear different people hydrationists say. Well, what percentage of the human body in its ideal form is water? Some will say 60%, some will say 70%. I go with 70%, and I go with 70% because I think that we do we do need more water. We The earth is comprised of roughly 70% water. The earth is. You in your ideal form are comprised of what? 70%, roughly 70 It's interesting how that's the, it's the same freaking mix. We are of the earth. And the earth is about 70% water. You are ideally 70% water. But anyway, final thing. Let's go back to this competitive versus cooperative. Because Bernard and I, this is what originally why we wanted to do the podcast. Because as you get older, you go through these seasons of your life where you're this, you know, this ultra-athlete. You're ultra-driven. You're trying to win as much as you can and win titles and win championships. And it's the most important thing in the world. And uh, driven, driven, driven. And then you go into a work world, a corporate world, and it's about teamwork and maybe swallowing your, you know, the things that would get you, win you championships sometimes in the sports world, make you a jerk in the business world, right? Oh, yeah. And so it's balancing that, for me, in my case, I've, you know, I've been, I'm just ultra, uber competitive. I don't have Tom Brady's Super Bowl rings, but I have that drive. I have like that, it's going to eat at me. If I don't get the job done, if I don't win, if I if I lose, and and I've seen that in so many um, Olympic champions and, and world champions in different sports. But on the other hand, when you talk about like even some of the stuff you're doing, where you're working with disabled people and you know some charity work and right. things like that, it's like things that are bigger than us, things that will require a lot of people coming together to get done. Because there's nothing great, there's no big things. They even talk charity things or 
big things or big impacts in the community or helping a lot of people, there's nothing that can be done by ourselves to do that. It's, no, it's not possible. It's only possible by many people, hundreds, thousands, millions coming together, and that's the cooperative spirit. And so how does the person who's uber competitive swallow that competitiveness and say, look, for the greater good to make this impact to my community, to a company, I am going to be cooperative and, and put aside my ego. You know, I think it has to do of what your cause is. I mean, I think I have a, a cause of working with people with disabilities since I've been a child. And so it's that, a good yin and yang. You right. got the, oh, the athletic side, yeah. and then you balance it yeah. on that side of just humbleness, working with people that that are that are that are need so much. And I think at the end of the day, um, I always look at that. You know, like, why am I doing it for? Um, I, I remember being in a real tight situation. I won't go into the details, you know, because we may have people, you know, listening. But it was a decision where I, I had to had to make a decision to stand with my job. And um, what I realized is that my grandma gave me some great advice. She told me, if you leave your job, you're not going to die. You know, I didn't understand what she meant by that. And so I went home and thought about it. She said, well... You're not gonna die because you're gonna get up, you're gonna be depressed, and then you're gonna figure it out. So don't let somebody stop you from doing the right thing um, and do something that you know that's not right. And so what I did was focus on the right thing. I had to follow my passions and focus on doing the right thing. And what I did, I helped out that situation and I'm back where I need to be. And so I always look at why I'm doing it. And usually it's for the right cause, you know, and so that what gets me up in the morning. And, it's in your blood. It's in it's your in blood, blood to be helping. Right, right. Help and I think like it's for me, when I look at you, me and you are no different. You know, I think, you know, um, we have two different, uh, we walk two different paths, but, you know, nobody want to walk up on you in the street. They may look at you and think, oh, man, that's easy money, you know, and then walk out hurt, limping. And I look at myself on the flip side, they may see this guy with a, you know, hat on, and then don't realize I can do your job just as well as you can do your job. So we kind of have the, and vice versa, we have that kind of yeah. thing that people don't really know, but it's okay. You know, um, what what have you learned? What do what do the people you work with teach you? Some of the, the, the disabled uh, veterans and and uh, some of the the kids. What what do they teach you? What do they remind you of? Man, that's a great question. You know what it is? It makes me realize that from age seven to let's say 50 we all messed up because when i look at the kids they have they don't see nothing but just life and when you get older when you get like 50 you look at all the stuff you went through it was like it was so stupid and what i guess the point i'm trying to make is that they, they're carefree like the stuff that i think about at work the drama the bureaucracy stuff they teach me that it doesn't really matter you know and so i love work i love working with that population and it's it's been the best thing that ever happened to me now you you've seen a lot of things mentally. What are some of your favorite either philosophies or sayings? What do you say to yourself? You know, you got a good head on your shoulders. You've seen a lot of things. You you know, what do you say to keep yourself sane and to keep yourself in a, in a mentally good place? Like, you know, so for instance, me like I I um, you know some of my favorite quotes are every every. Um, Every misfortune is pregnant with the seed of equal or greater good fortune. Or right. when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And I have things like that that I'm always thinking of. Or addition by subtraction. Addition right. by subtraction is one of my favorite. Like, we always think we need to add on 
add-on skills to, to be better, and sometimes it's just eliminating the flaws or the mistakes, the stupid, silly decisions that hold us back a lot of times, or even with food. It's not always, let's start eating, let's reinvent the wheel and eat healthy. Let's just stop eating it. Let's start by, let's stop eating this crap. And then let's go from there. Um, but but you, you do you have are there any things like that your mom would say all the time or that you that come up a lot in your head and you think you use that principle a lot? You know, the only thing that I can think of right off the top that I think you might can understand is just your experiences. You see, you know, you grew up in a certain <coughs> environment, and I hate to use this, but when you see so much stuff that's not right, you want to do the other one. You want to do the right thing. Yeah. And I think that's kind of. I, I can't specifically say that, that's. I call that inverted learning, and Abe yeah. Lincoln had it. I have it. Yeah. Because I always think I stopped cutting school. I haven't smoked pot since I was thirteen. I don't. So I, I don't like smoked. drinking. Yeah, I never. You know. And and I always think like nobody told a lot of these things. Nobody told me it was just I learned like they're doing a people who are doing bad stuff, right. stealing cars, robbing people. They're doing A, I'm just going to do B. It was just right. natural. I didn't need a mentor or right. teacher to tell me that. And, right. and some people have that. Right. Maybe you had that no, where you know, I didn't. inverted learning to do the opposite. Like right. these dudes are doing this. I think I'll just do the opposite. It's probably a better decision. Agreed. I mean, I think that's kind of how I kind of went about it as well. Like, oh, I don't know if that's the right way to do it. You know, like maybe and that's probably, and again, I don't know why I woke up. Maybe I say, hey, you know what? Maybe that's not the best thing for me to go talk to you. Because everybody, that's what everybody Have you doing. ever been to Argentina, actually? Yes, you've still never been. Yeah. Have they, you been to Argentina? The only thing I know about Argentina, uh, other than good basketball, is that they're very, I think, the last I read, this was some years back, but they spend the most money on, like, cosmetics and beauty stuff of anybody. They spend, like, 25% of all their money right. goes to, like, beauty and cosmetics and just looking wow. good. They're very, like, a lot of vanity purchases. They, right. they, they as of... Maybe uh, six or seven years ago, they. Uh, I was reading that they they really take all that seriously. So you would have had, you know, you Bernard is here right now. He, he's just chilling with some some uh, some shorts and he got he got a New York Yankees cap on. <laughs> and the Yankees fans out there. Uh, I got another New Yorker here. I got my, my uncle from 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 New York who's here too. Uh, so from New York. Yeah, I was born surrounded there. by a lot of New York. I was raised in Ohio, so. In Ohio. Yeah, I was born, yeah, I was born. Our, our Jewish uncle's gonna interrupt the podcast. No, Youngstown, Ohio. He has big difference. Big difference. But now New York is talking is, is is starting the, the topic up. But but um, <laughs> so I know um, we're gonna get you on a podcast in the future. Uncle. Yeah, we need to. We probably got a lot to say. Uh, he's got no, he's got he's got a lot. He's got a lot of stories. He's got stories got we can't tell on the podcast. That's why I'm here. Yeah, oh, we can't tell his stories. I mean, he, he this guy can hit a tennis ball. Crazy like crazy though. But um. But yeah, so um, I'm just saying that you know what was I saying? I forgot about that. But anyway, Bernard, it's been a pleasure. We need to get you. Um, how can people find you out there if they want to email you? If they want to, uh, you know, even your basketball league now you got a lot of things going on. How can Bernard Preston? How can people? Well, you know, I'm not. See, you? y'all, this might y'all might think I'm in the uh, still in the '80s. You like? So I don't do the social media. I mean, you know, I'm not that type no, of guy. So I'm. But if you want to, uh, I'm just a doer. Yeah, I, I'm not. I just not been my thing. But you know, if you want to uh, get hold of me, uh, email you can hit me on my personal email at bpreston5 at hotmail.com. Um, but I'm always at the gym here at Lifetime. Um, I'm, I think most people know who I am. So uh, if you want to chat with me, I'm, I'll be more willing to um, talk. And but by the way, I just want to thank Frank again for giving me this opportunity and. Uh, please give me a copy of the book when it comes out. And um, uh, again, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you so much. So, 
Frank Forza here, Life Jitsu Art of Life. My website, www.frankieforza.com. Email frankie at frankieforza.com. I want to thank Bernard again. It's been, it's been awesome and educational. Guy brings good energy. He is a worker, man. This guy goes out, earns it, works for it, and has defied the odds. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Stay, don't stress, be blessed. Take care. Everybody matters.